there was this thing going around that China was working on a biological weapon that would entirely target, like, well, rather solely target white people, like some sort of like Dutch elm disease, but for Caucasians. And so, I, yeah, no. And so I was reading that this coronavirus is just like, you know, uh, what's that? What's that movie with Will Smith? Gemini Man, I Am Legend, where like the virus got out and. You know, now it's you know now it's mutated and it's, it's affecting you know real people, not just Caucasians. Well, the, <laughs> no, but the coronavirus is actually um, this new form of coronavirus is just a a, a variation on um, what amounts to SARS or MERS, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. MERS is the really bad one that kills about thirty percent of the people that contract it. Uh, SARS killed a lot more. So far, this has killed 17 people, but it's kind of like the problem is that symptoms look like the cold. And so you don't, if you don't do anything and just treat it like, oh, it's, I've just got a cold, then it can become like really fucking bad and fatal. Yeah, I was reading it causes lesions on the lungs or can anyway. And that's, yeah. that's part of what connected it to the Australia and the plagues for me, but go on. No, I, I was going to say and, that. I was going to say that. And that's the thing when you don't, you don't have an internal, all you do is like, ah, oh, I got a, I got chest cold or something. I, I'll just get over it which, you know, every American does because our healthcare fucking system sucks. Um, yeah, it could be extremely bad. Speaking of conspiracy theories, I'm, I'm actually ready to go. I just got back from the gym. I just hit chest, got my pants off, dick out, ready to record. Nice. Always nice, right? Uh, but speaking of conspiracy theories, we get to talk about Richard's favorite person, Joanne Reed. Oh. Richard, what did Joanne Reed do this weekend? Oh, man, I... <laughs> I try not even to pay any attention, but I, I even muted Bernie and Sanders just because I was just trying to take a break from what was uh, a mess. But uh, apparently had a body language expert on in order to uh, determine who was lying in the exchange between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I haven't couldn't watch through the whole thing, but what I gathered was that she was able to conclusive the conclusion that she that Bernie was lying. She's actually, uh, I think, a Trump supporter. She's pushed anti-vaxxing materials before. She's also pushed... Yes. The, <laughs> not Joanne Reed. Expert, not, uh, and not she's Joanne Reed. You know, like, that was wild. Because it's not, essentially, she brought her on to interpret the the mannerisms of Bernie and Warren when they had that exchange after the debate that I refused to watch because I'm tired of these fucking debates. I thought I was going to watch it. You know, I tried watching the first bit debate while like on Adderall fucking sucked. Tried watching it. The second, the, well, not really first, tried watching the fifth debate on Adderall, tried watching the sixth debate, just generally high. They both fucking sucked. So I'm kind of just done with them until, you know, unless they get spicier. Uh, so, but afterwards they had, you know, Bernie and Warren had that exchange on a hot mic that was more or less what you'd expect two people who are claiming they're telling truth to say to each other when they know they're on their, their mic, you know, <laughs> Joanne Reed had on a body language expert. And if you're wondering what qualifies you as a body language expert, it's basically just like a 12 month correspondence course. Like you can become a body language expert just like on the back of a like cereal box, you, you know, mail in $5 with the little like cutout cardboard box top and she was an atf agent like long before that uh the body language expert yeah amazing she had a quite a storied career but basically all the body language expert did which you know if you're really listening it was funny at this on the surface but when you listen to it like 
all she does is go on and like call Bernie Sanders shifty. And that was basically it. It's like she like she described his body language as though she was like describing that fucking anti-Semitic meme, you know, like the, the crafty merchant, yeah. the one that goes around. She's like, his shoulders oh, man. punched and he was turtled up. And I'm like, I don't think you can say that. Like, I don't think you can just, <laughs> just like his yeah. hands were clasped together and he like his shoulders were hunched. I was like, Mm, I don't know if you can say that. Like, I, like, we, we all engage in tropes sometimes, but it seems as though you're being like serious. Uh, and the thing was, it's like that was the most anti-Semitic thing I'd heard since Politico put him on the cover with the money tree. They love doing that. No, like the Politico, like the money tree, the big, the, the houses, which I turned into amazing uh, like album cover art, uh, which I'll probably use for the art for this fucking episode. But like the money trees, every time they talk about Bernie, they have him in that fucking like they, they find a picture of him with his hands. Like look at though they're it's rubbing together. It's like the weirdest like eccentricity of the media. Like they just they, they love doing that. But you know, well, yeah, but meanwhile, they can't show uh, Mayor Pete's rat teeth. You only see that when you see him in person talking. I love I love Mayor Chuck E. Cheese. How dare you? Uh, just, just lay off the king of the Keebler elves, right? <laughs> I, I honestly, for the past week, dealing with the early shit that happened, I forgot he existed. Like, I mean, he had his little police clap moment and what people are saying. So did the polls. But he was a flavor of the month anyway, uh, that flavor being vanilla, but he was a flavor of the month. And like, I mean, he had his little police clap moment and like what people are saying is the same room as Jeb Bush had his own police clap moment in. But I, I, I'll give it to Jeb. A, Jeb came across as like, you know, an earnest, you know, heartwarming, like droopy dog esque loser, and Pete Buttigieg came across as like a smarmy asshole, like nerd. And also, Jeb Bush's. If you look at the two videos, where like Jeb Bush's audience seems more diverse, it seems younger, seems more diverse, seems more like vibrant. Like Pete Buttigieg's audience was like, "What the fuck is this dude talking about?" He was like, "You know, we need to." Uh, pull the levers of democracy in order to leverage our freedom into positive change. You're like, what the? It's like, no, just bullshit consultants. It looked like one of the women in the background like realized real time that she was going to be in the background of a viral moment and that she was not prepared for that when she showed up today. And, and like, it just seemed like it was written on her face. This is the first video of Pete Buttigieg I've seen in a while without him having that black woman who works on his staff behind him to prove that he has black voters. Like this is like this is the first one in a while where she's been missing. I think he got one congressional endorsement from from a black guy, and so that, that covered it. I think is what mm. what they're thinking. I, I guess you know, like one and done, baby, one and done. Oh, but going back to the fucking body language expert. So just on the surface, like body language expertise is, uh, you know, at the I will say just broad strokes. <laughs> anti-scientific hokum. bullshit it's fucking hokum it, it might, she might as well have brought on an astrologist to that's you know to investigate like you know to determine whether bernie was lying based on like whether Mer- mercury's in retrograde or not but at least people like you know astrology is kind of like whatever so they wouldn't put that much stock into it the body language expert thing it, that was surreal watching her on fucking like television like basically talking about like witchcraft <laughs> more or less but then you know it came out later thanks to ken Klippenstein, who found her twitter you know account and it's like basically scrolled back a year or so like she turns out to just be a conspiracy theorist you know she's posting articles from the the daily sheeple about you know anti-vaxxers and like how obama had the cia train isis which i mean that one might I, the cia gets up to a lot of things so that might not necessarily be a, a conspiracy theory uh, but you know yeah, I mean, like, there, there are close ties. I mean, you look at Max Blumenthal and Ben Norton, they've been on that for a long time. And it's like, 
they weren't necessarily training ISIS, but they were training the FSA, which was really just ISIS with like 10 dudes who are supposed to be the moderates in front of them. We'll put that as a light conspiracy, a, a, like a light conspiracy theory. Yeah, but turns out she's a, an anti-vaxxer. I think she had some anti-Semitic tweets, which I mean, her, you know, kind of goes back to like the, uh, the, the body language expertise. But, you know, it's, it's, it's weird watching something like that. And now it's over. People aren't really talking about it anymore. Like, and there's going to be no accountability for it, which uh, what can you really do at this point? But like, it's definitely weird watching that. And also weird for me, like realizing that people like that for a lot of people, anti-vaxxer, like, like there are a lot of people are still in the anti-vaxxer thing. Like that's like, that's a, like, that's like, that's for them, like the conspiracy theory that they know about. And that, that's wild. Cause like, like anti-vaxxing, like, when you run in the circles I run, like anti-vaccination is just like that's that's a baby conspiracy. Like I can't I can't imagine being you know at that level where it's like a, a baby newborn fucking lamb like anti-vaxxer. It's definitely dangerous. But wait till you get to like the real that real conspiracy shit. Like oh shit. Like have have you heard how like viruses are fake? Wait what? This is like an offshoot of anti-vaccination shit. Like there is a conspiracy theory out there online, which and I learned about this through all my the way I learned about all my conspiracy theories like through Flat Earth Podcast, that believes that like vaccines are actually, I mean, that vaccines are, of course, anti-vaxxers. That, that when you listen to Flat Earth Podcasts, when you listen to like, when you read Flat Earth stuff, it's a given that you already believe that like vaccines aren't real. That's like, that's like I said, baby conspiracy shit. Like vaccines aren't real, you know, like the, you know, uh, Illuminati, that's, that's, that's all, that's all, you know, up there. But no, like an offshoot or I guess an acceleration of fucking anti-vaxxing is that like, actually viruses aren't real like the government is lying to us the government and scientists and you know like the globalists you know three brackets or three parentheses whatever are lying to us about like what viruses are and in reality viruses are helpful to the human body is this like licking how? doorknobs or yeah <laughs> i didn't really investigate it because like at the surface i was like okay so how is polio helpful to the human virus <laughs> human body like you know like how like how is uh i don't know the norovirus helpful to the human body i think it kills you there's all types of people huh yeah god god makes all types of people he makes body language experts he makes anti-vaxxers he makes you know sometimes he makes them all in one but oh, i mean after they had the horse account like tweet on there and i don't know if they was it brian williams that actually read it too which is i mean come on chef kiss right there uh but it's hard to take any of them seriously in cnn with the debacle with warren and like what was clearly a manufactured moment that flopped uh and to see it carried over onto the joy read with the buddy uh, language expert it just it reeks of what i think people one of the things i think people noticed that were watching the democratic primary but weren't sanders supporters but were floating between other candidates or passively paying attention was just kind of how obscene it was because they were standing away like kind of further away from it rather than you know already in a factionalized camp so they saw what they saw was blatant you know anti-Sanders stuff and so the all the things that they had heard either during 2016 or after about like hey you know the media got out for him it suddenly just clicked for a lot of people I think yeah I'd agree with that I think that's absolutely true and I think that like that actually is part of what's been moving the needle more than anything these past couple weeks because I mean now Bernie's number one across the polls so I mean yeah it's it's very I mean I think the tax 
Bernie becoming number one in the polls, I think there's been the, uh, uh, what you call it, a change in the wind that a lot of pundits and a lot of insiders could, you know, can now sense what everyone else has known for a long time, which is that Bernie is massively popular. Uh, he's, you know, continuing to gain momentum. The more and more people hear him, the more people, people get used to what he's saying, the more and more people, you know, start to realize that he is describing political solutions to like what they consider to be their own personal problems. Like, you know, housing insecurity, uh, anxiety about the precariousness of their job or the precariousness of their of their living situation, you know, any number of things, right? And, you know, pundits are moving one of two ways. Like the the Pod Save America boys are jumping, you know, are kind of like, you know, maybe we should just talk about Bernie. You know, maybe Bernie is going to win. Maybe, you know, we should, we don't want to be on the wrong side. It's one for us still. And then you have, you know, the one that, I hate to say it, but the Clinton dead-enders, including Hillary Clinton herself, uh, who are just like, they're becoming increasingly desperate. It's becoming increasingly sad to watch. Like, I mean, the poll just came out today, not to date the episode. You know, he came out, he's basically in first place. They call it a a statistical tie because both him, both Biden and he are within a margin of error where either of them, you know, depending on the margin, again, depending on how Severe margin of error. Well, Bernie's up by three. The margin of error is four. Bernie's error is four, five, whatever. I mean, he's winning. He's winning. And, you know, a lot of these polls are shoddy. And so, and he overperforms in caucus states like Iowa. So it's, it's, easy to believe what Adair has been saying for a while now, actually, that it's very likely that Bernie has not, is not only in first place now, but he's been in first place for a, a while now. And, you know, I guess people thought that the Warren thing was going to sink him, but it, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't sink him. Just like, I don't think that uh, what Clinton said two days ago or one day ago now, like is going to do anything other than make people like him more for the reason that John mentioned, because like, you know, a lot of these, Media figures, Joanne Reed, MSNBC, New York Times, like these establishment figures that have like mind flooded themselves into believing that like they're popular and they're the kingmakers and you know they represent this center of society that has and they have unique insight into the world are just living in a bubble as they were in 2016, which caused them to miss 2016. It's just like they're missing this now and they're going to continue to miss it. And like their hatred actually just makes people like him more. Like it just really just that simple. Like they, because they, because your everyday average person, I hate to use that kind of construct because it is so lazy. Like they see that the media is, you know, they're, they're out to get, they're like, you know, not only are they out to get uh, Bernie, that's a separate issue, but they see at the media, like they're not representing them. They're not representing them adequately right i talk about conspiracy theories on this web on this no website on this on this show all the time and i've always theorized that we're seeing a rise in fringe conspiracy theories and fringe movements you know ranging from flat earth to anti-vaxxing to the far right to you know any number of things not just because of a uh, grassroots astroturf movement in the case of uh you know, anti-vax or vaccine in the far right, but just because of a general dissatisfaction that people are having with, you know, mainstream narratives about the world. And they're in search of alternative ones. And Bernie is an alternative narrative about the world. And, you know, being in opposition to the media in some sense makes him seem more attractive to people who find themselves also on the other side of the media narratives, like the, like not being represented by the people they bring on MSNBC. It also means like for the longest time, we were told that, you know, if you have a problem in your life, especially in America, but anywhere under neoliberalism, if you have a problem in your life, it's you, it's your choices that led to this problem. You are the only reason. And Bernie has given a narrative that no, 
It's not just you. There's actually systems of oppression that are much bigger than you and they affect absolutely everybody. And so it's not, and they're all interlinked as well. It's not just one system, it's multiple systems that are all interlinked that is making sure that everyone's life is immiserated. And the only way you're going to get around that is by banding together. So not me, us. And that's a much more popular narrative to anybody, I would imagine, than, yeah, this is my fault that my life sucks. Well, yeah, but people have, I mean, and that's true. It is, it can be hard to remember when you, you know, you're immersed in political, you know, media and you're immersed in literature about like socialism or literature about structural inequality to forget that your everyday average person has been indoctrinated with a neoliberal ideology that causes them to look inward for all their problems and all their solutions and believe that, you know, they are both the source in the, I mean, they're a source of all their problems and their lack of ability to solve their problems is also a result of personal moral intellectual failings. That's what, that's what our society teaches people. Right. And that's why a lot of like hucksters on the far right are able to, you know, gain purchase by feeding narratives about how individualism, you know, it's the Jordan Peterson thing. Just clean your room. Like, just clean your room. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's the Peterson narrative. Yeah, Just clean your room. Like all your, all of your solutions can, I mean, you should probably clean your room. I should clean my fucking room. You know, you got a few people coming over. I should clean my room, but uh, no, like, you know, but like, that's not a real, like, that's not a real political analysis, right? It's not a real, analysis of the way power works in society or why inequality exists. It's an analogy that's meant to feed into neoliberal views about like, and essentially individualism. And, you know, like, you know, you speak, and so you can, you can also loop what happened with Clinton into this conversation too. Like when she comes out and she says, Hey, no, no one likes Bernie. Right. She's just, I mean, Obviously, she's just trying to promote her new crackle special, her new crackle comedy special that she has coming out in the, the fall. Uh, but like, she she's serious when she says that, right? She is she exists in this world. I have no doubt that she exists in this world where she never has to come into contact with anybody who like likes Bernie, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least doesn't vocalize it in front of her. Oh yeah, of course not. You got you know at least half of her staff is voting for Bernie or at least voting for Warren because they're like, shit, I like this, this train can't last forever. Right. But you know, I, I hope at least half of them have that level of self-reflection, but you know, like she really means that, Hey, you know what? No one in my circle likes Bernie. And instead of being able to acknowledge, or maybe she can, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what's in her heart or mind, but you know, ostensibly instead of being able to acknowledge, okay, well, maybe this is just a sampling error. Maybe this is just like class politics existing. I'm existing at at a higher level and I'm just, I'm not able to extrapolate that or rather, and I'm just deciding to extrapolate this out to the highest level because, Hey, you know, I think that my social group is incredibly valuable as opposed to being like, Oh no, this is like, I, I, I'm on the fringe, right? Like I'm like Hillary Clinton and centrist Democrats are like, a fringe are fringe now, right? Like they're like they're the fringe of their party insofar as that like a lot of people are moving towards the left and liking Bernie. And like instead of like acknowledging that they're you know they are a fringe and they they've always been a fringe, they are just like resisting even harder. Right, and you can see that from how the Biden campaign has been operating this last week as well. I mean, flat out denying that. Hey, you know what? Positions in this party have changed for in the past 30 years and massively changed as a direct result of Bernie Sanders and left action. So maybe his position of advocating for Social Security cuts wasn't actually a good look. And rather than acknowledging it and saying, yeah, I, I would advocate this because I believed in the, you know, the Pete Peterson model of uh, Social Security. And now I don't. He just says, no, I didn't do that. And, you know, that's exactly where the Clinton camp is. No, Bernie's not popular. <laughs> 
Biden has the unfortunate like uh, reality that he's got to deal with that he was in office uh, during the time of when Democrats were trying to appeal to the Republican Party voters by being tough on crime, by you know trying to balance the budget, by trying to do all those types of things. And unlike you know like Bill Clinton who isn't in office or Hillary who technically didn't have any votes on many of those things and you know was only kind of linked to it through her like how she advocated for various policies. Uh, he actually voted on these things. He's got Senate speeches, so there's or in, there's congressional record of it. So it's yeah, accessible, and, and, and that, uh, Sirota did a good job of kind of, you know, traveling that road. Go ahead. Yeah, and well, what I was going to say is, and the sad part is, like, Pete is the same exact way. I mean, Pete was coming up, Pete's, like, roughly around the same age as I am, so he was coming up in the middle saying, okay, I want to get into politics, I'm going to do everything I can to pad my resume and know a specific way to make me appeal to centrist liberal politics, and now the movement is, the moment has passed him. And nobody likes the shit that he said before, so he's also running away from his record, not just on McKinsey, but, like, on things he used to say. Like, like I, the, the one moment of that New York Times thing that I watched with the bread pricing question where you had the cyborg ask him, weren't you involved in price fixing? And he said, no. And he said, you were definitely worked for a company that was fixing bread prices. Well, Pete bragged about that, that he was inv- heavily involved in Canadian price, uh, pricing of bread, like, not only six or seven years ago. And now he's got to run away from his record in the same exact way that Biden is. And it's really funny because, you know, without Bernie running in 2016, let's say let's run the counterfactual that let's say Warren had run instead of Bernie in 2016. We wouldn't be having these conversations right now. I mean, not as maybe we would, but not as a culture. We wouldn't be having our candidates run away from McKinsey. We wouldn't be having our candidates run away from Social Security cuts. It's quite amazing that that's how far the Overton window has moved. Well, I mean, I do want to like linger a little bit on Hillary Clinton, oh, a few words that I haven't said in a long time because like I didn't want to really think about her. But it, it's it really is amazing how she keeps being foisted upon us by the media. Like it's it's so hard like to imagine being like a an ardent Hillary Clinton fan in 2020. Like right, like. Like, 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 could, like, could you imagine being like a Hillary Clinton dead ender in 2020? Not only did she lose to the most unpopular candidate in the history of the America, making her making her the most unpopular candidate in the history of America by default uh, due to a combination of incompetence and hubris. She's also just been recently implicated in a long term relationship, you know, with the Clinton family entirely with a known with a known pedophile organization. Right. And yet she still wants to come on television to, or rather she's still allowed to come like, because of the money and the, because of the access she's been afforded by her money and uh, power to come on stage and lecture us. Like she shouldn't be allowed to lecture anybody without someone asking, okay, yeah, but you know, you, you want to tell us your unvarnished and unfiltered truth. Can you tell us about the unvarnished and unfiltered truth about your family's relationship with the fucking Epstein's? Yeah, but nobody's talking about Epstein anymore. So like the, her getting away with talking about it is one thing. The, the Weinstein comment that she made was another. You know, we have not only Rowan and Farrow saying that he actually brought it to the campaign, but uh, Lena Dunham brought it, said that she brought it to the campaign in 2008, I believe. Yeah. 
or maybe even a little bit later. And so, like, how can you go on record and deny it when you have multiple people saying, like, now oh, her campaign shot it down? Well, it, it, it's clearly a lie. Like, I mean, like, of course, like you, you see, this is the thing that people have a hard time understanding because, like, there is a combination of a belief that, like, and, you know, the intrinsic moral value, the, the intrinsic moral superiority of the rich and powerful, like a Clinton, you know, or like a billionaire or any number of people, right? And then there is, like, the willingness to believe there's a simultaneous willingness to believe that they are incredibly incompetent or ignorant and that's why they make mistakes. But that should, of course, that shouldn't be, but that shouldn't be a reason enough to keep them out of power. It should just be a reason enough that you you instantly forgive them and, and continue to believe in their ability to like improve and have more superiority. But it's impossible for the Clintons to not know that Jeffrey Epstein was a, a serial pedophile. It's impossible for the Clintons to not have heard the rumors about fucking uh, Harvey Weinstein. Like, that, I guess, like that's impossible. Like, 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 Bill was the president of the United States of America, right? Like, like, he, like, he knew. Like, he definitely knew. And we had multiple people on, on camera, you know, but rather we have multiple accounts of people saying, yeah, like, they knew. They just chose not to make it an issue because they wanted the money and they wanted the access to Hollywood that his country afforded him. And, you know, unfortunately, the fact that there are multiple documented instances of that has not seemed to, you know, it, it won't stick to them. It can't stick to them because of the way we ascribe moral value to these people. But, you know, it's the same. I mean, like, it's it's just weird. It's the same thing with Biden. Like, you know, they're saying that was the big the big thing with Biden this week, where they were saying that you know Bernie, the Bernie campaign or whatever, had doctored a video claiming that Biden wanted to you know wanted to cut Social Security, which he has said on multiple occasions. That was part of the grand bargain. Obama wanted to cut Social Security too, or rather, he was willing to make Social Security cuts in order to get something from the Republican Party. It's hard to remember what it was at this point, but he was definitely they were willing to make that trade and. I will say I, you know, you're saying I, I think that it's easy to come down on the side that they're lying, right? I mean, well, no, rather, it's easy to come down on the side that says that you know them lying is bad and it's a bad thing to lie, but and that's just true. But I actually think it's a positive sign that they're lying about it now, or rather, they were lying about it because a few like a year or two ago, or maybe three years ago, they would still be pushing this narrative that oh no 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 yeah we said we were going to look into cutting social security, but you have to understand we had to appeal to this to America because America doesn't like entitlements in the, and in order to win America a, a conservative country we had to make all these cuts and you know we had to offer all these things for pragmatism otherwise we would get rolled by the Republican party and then, then then they would cut it anyway and they would make worse cuts and then that would be even worse for like, but now I think that because of Bernie because of AOC because of a lot more progressive candidates and the appeal to progressive candidates and like the known appeal of these progressive policies they've been forced on a back foot where it's like oh no no we didn't do that we, that, that didn't happen it's like so they've been forced to abandon the argument that this was done for pragmatic reasons and adopt a full-fledged denial of it. But unfortunately, even people like, you know, you know, Maddie Iglesias and a lot of other, you know, liberal-leaning pundits are like, no, 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 this is like clearly not the case. I mean, the, the PolitiFact fact-checker fucking lied about it, but like, nor, like normal, because he went with the routers, which lied yeah, about it. like normal balls and strikes. You know, people who are liberal leaning or even conservative leaning, like normal, like just like hey, like no, this is like the, the, we have like four decades of like video and a testimonial saying he wants to cut Medicare or rather cut Social Security. He wants to cut Social Security benefits for widowers, right? He wants to cut Social for widowers and survivors of you know of parental death or whatever. Like he like they, he's been trying to cut entitlements for for longer than I've been alive. 
for longer than I've been alive, I think. He's trying to cut entitlements like fucking Corn Pop tried to cut his face, which again, you know, I want to put this out there. Corn Pop let down, let down the Black Caucus <laughs> by, by, not, by just not going for it. He should have taken one for the team. I don't know if Joe Biden would have made it to where he was now, but he definitely would appeal more with a nice face scar in today's political climate, I think. I mean, it works well for Dan Crenshaw, even though people claim that he got his eye fucked out. You know, it is, it's still, <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, like, you know, <laughs> he did. I believe it. I, be, I you know, look, it's, it, many people are saying that, but so, I mean, it's hard to tell. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have to put that on into the maybe pile along with body language, along with body language analysis. Oh, no, I, I mean, it's not, the, it's not the weirdest thing I've heard this week. Oh, so what's the weirdest thing you've heard this Viruses week? are fake. Oh, okay. I mean, like, yeah, that is pretty strange. <laughs> you know, again, not the weirdest thing I've heard this month, though. That, that, would, that, would be that, that would be that water is fake. My new conspiracy theory that I'm spreading is that Hillary Clinton is actually a secret, uh, secret Maoist, and her entire career has been in pursuit of making herself so hated that her anti-endorsement could like, lead to uh, social Democrat slash Democratic Socialist becoming uh, President of the United States of America. This is a 70-year <laughs> con. If you want to really break the glass ceiling for other people, like you want, you want a Mexican president, you want an immigrant president, you want a Muslim president, just have him run against Hillary Clinton. Just have him, just yeah. have him, <laughs> have him run against Hillary. It's just like that's that's the easiest way to be to win any race. Run against Hillary Clinton. Did you see the lawsuit? Oh yeah, Tulsi Gabbard is suing Hillary Clinton. She should because that shit was defamation. $8 million dollars. Fuck yeah, it was defamation. That was defamation. And I mean, honestly, I don't like Tulsi Gabbard uh, for you know a variety of reasons. I admit that a lot of them has to do because she has that weird like uh, mom like mom workout. Instagram like thirst trap shit that she does. Uh, <laughs> I know nothing about that. I, I'm sorry. She just like, she just, like does burpees. <laughs> she just like burpees on like fucking on TikTok or some shit. And that's like just like that's her like dominant campaign strategy. But, yeah, no, you got to do deadlifts, otherwise I'm not getting. I mean, like, you're not getting my sympathy. Like, I mean, like you're not. Like, look, I mean, say what you want about John Delaney, but he's an actual lifter. Say what you want about Kirsten Gillibrand, but she was like, she was putting up. She was, she was putting up some serious weight in that video, and she had that. Like, I mean. Yes, she was. And, she was. and her form was spot on, whereas Bennett, uh, what's his face's form sucks. Delaney's form is. Delaney good. doesn't do deadlifts. That's the thing. Like, Delaney. Like Delaney no, I saw, there's a one video of him doing deadlifts. No, no, no. His back was Delaney doesn't do bold. deadlifts regularly. Like, he did deadlifts for that video for some reason, but, like, he okay. doesn't do, like, big three lifts. Kind of because he's old. Like, no, I mean, no shade. Like, he's like, I'm fucking old. I do that no, shit. No, he's like 50 plus. Like, no, like, no shade. You can still deadlift it. I've seen a 72 year old man, like, deadlift like 700 pounds. But, like, you know, if you're not a, if you're, if you're like, a kind of, like, casual, you know enthusiasts of lifting and you're like 55 you're probably not going to be deadlifting a lot as much i mean which good form i guess like he stuck his views on his philosophy about working out i think is a hundred percent correct unfortunately he's uh, you know shitty at everything else <laughs> well what was his views on working out no, basically he just thinks you know you should be active you should find something that you know fits what you you know enjoy doing and you know just being active is a good mentality he's not like he's not like a problematic bro like joe Biden is who goes around like calling people like, <laughs> like fat shaming fat shaming <laughs> voters and challenging them to push up <laughs> IQ test but he's not a member of the Swolitaria I think as a lifter he can be converted to the Swolitaria I think I think I think I think once he forsakes the evils of liberalism he can be you know which it should be easy for him because he you know he, he's a strong guy he has a lot of muscle and you know muscle is you know as as a physiognomy tells us muscle, you know, fitness is associated with moral value. Um, you know, that, that is, that's just, that's what people tell me. 
<laughs> so so I, I, I tend to believe it, but you know, like he, he could be, he could be the, he could be the leader we deserve. He could be the first president to just fucking blast out a 600 pound deadlift at the, at the, the swearing in ceremony. And that would be awesome. See, I thought Gillibrand would be that because her form is spot on. Like you said, she moved weight. Yeah. But she also had that fucking shirt on that said like, Old, Iowans only eat ranch dressing. And so, like she, got, <laughs> I give her a transition talk about the New York Times endorsement right now. But it, people are like, like waking up to the fact that you know people like Hillary Clinton, like they don't speak to or for Americans. It's like they speak to and for their friends, and they try to convince you that like what's in the best interest of their friends is also in your best interest. And unfortunately for a large portion of the population, they, they, you know, not a large, a largest portion of the population, they've come to, you know, more or less internalize that. Right. You know, it's like, there's like, there is that thing where people say like, well, you know, how many people in a society does it take to make a society like rather how much how much of a society needs to like become just like hard and fast like fascist in order for society to just make you just devolve into like fascism and fucking concentration camps and shit and the answer is just like you know about about you all you really need is like uh maybe five to ten percent of like hardcore like believers of this thing and the rest of people who are willing to resort to violence who are willing to resort to violence or willing to resort to apathy towards violence and the rest of 90 percent will just like go along with it i think the same is true kind of of centrism is what we're coming to terms with is that like you know people are waking up to the fact that there is a core of centrists who are being represented by the media and they're being represented by Hillary clinton they're being represented by pete Buttigieg or fucking joe biden i'm sorry Joe Biden and uh, I'm sorry, I have you're not allowed to do that. Joe Biden has like fucking um, he he has astigmatism or some shit, so you can't make fun of him anymore. Uh, yeah, cataracts. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. And so, uh, I mean, probably right, um, but yeah. like, and that like that centrist that centrist highly valued voter is so highly valued and so often coddled by the media apparatus the political media apparatus as like highly you know highly competent highly you know highly desirable hyper rational like they're your person who is making all the right choices and as evidenced by the fact that they're, that they're benefiting from the status quo right and you know cause like that is what you know how people define centrism in my mind you know how i define centrism like you no know, it's defined by someone's a relationship to the status quo and essentially power, right? Are you are you content under power to status quo? Or are you discontent, right? Are you benefiting from it in a way that is like is disproportionate to everyone else, or are you not? Like, do you see do you see the value for yourself personally in maintaining the system the way it is versus actually changing things? I think there's also an element of uh, like just how Republicans appeal to the temporarily embarrassed billionaire, billionaire or whatever, uh, the, the centrist liberal uh, class kind of or argument appealed to the temporarily embarrassed pundit. You know, it was like, I could be this pundit on TV. I can see all these political angles and all these things. It's like, basically, I'm, I'm about where they are. And it's just, I'm just waiting for my breakout moment. And so this system that rewards these people that feed into the centrist thing also will eventually reward me if I just have my, my breakout moment kind of thing. And I think that that plays an element too, besides to feed into the, it's not just the people that benefit, but also people that think that they're going to benefit one day. 
Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, I mean that none of them have read Chomsky, which is why the system kind of constantly perpetuates itself. Oh yeah, I mean they they have pundit brain, as we said in the last day. They have pundit brain, but like pundit brain is just uh is just uh you know a metastasizing of like centrism, a centrist brain, which is that you know like the, you're right, Republicans, well, society in general convince people that they're temporary embarrassed millionaires. But like Richard said, you know, the centrist class, I think it, it, expand, and it expands out beyond that too, like are convinced that they are like the, like, like that they're more or less, like they are navigating the world through a rational lens. And that's why we had to spend the past six months, like, like looking at a revolving door of Democrat candidates that never really had a shot. Right. Because like there was I mean, since the beginning, there's been Bernie and there's been Biden, you know, who have, a, you know, like just the majority, not the majority, but like 50 percent of the people of the 50 percent of the support of the Democratic primary, more or less. And we've had a revolving door of people going through 20 and 13 and up and down and then dropping out and like having their moment in the sun. And it's, it's all been to cater to this like theoretical centrist voter who's like who's engaging in a rational shopping around of who is the best candidate, even though these motherfuckers were all interchangeable. Right. And it was always just a Bernie Biden race. And and who? Yeah, and you're not really engaged if you're still waiting to the debates at this point to try and determine who you vote for because you should have been engaged with their records and understanding how like the record compares to the rhetoric that they're saying during this campaigning phase because at this point, if you're a grown adult, you should know better than to just presume that whatever they say during the campaign trail actually matches what they say or what they've done in their history. But part of that is we have built a system that allows people to check the fuck out and they're supposed to listen to these pundits or temporarily depressed pundits, and that is the the common sense uh, narrative to politics. And you know they've built up this this story around themselves that says that they've got the right answer and they're fine and everything is fine if we just get the right people. Whereas you know as we constantly say on the show, no one's looking at the systems. And so those people who are like, well. Politics doesn't really matter. Everyone's corrupt. Everyone's a fucking liar. I'll just tune in in two weeks up until they're typically in my lifetime. They've been right. I mean, thinking about just not even presidential, but local elections here in Rhode Island, like there's no good people to vote for. Uh, There was one guy who is uh, going for uh, treasurer, I think, and he was basically going to open up Gina Raimondo's books and say, what the fuck has been going on? He lost in a landslide because nobody knew who he was because everyone's checked out. So up until we had, you know, people like AOC, Ilan Omar, Bernie, and a couple of people who have been came before them who were spread across the country, there really was no reason to, because the system of picking a candidate, even at as low as the city council level, has been massively fucking corrupted, and nobody's paying attention. Right, so you're saying that we shouldn't just rely on the endorsement of the New York Times and, and vote that way and call it good. Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to vote for two people. I don't think Rhode Island allows that. They published that anti-Semitic ass Brett Stevens article that was that was plagiarized straight from Wikipedia page. That's like that shit was plagiarized. It, like I I looked into it because I was I was curious about like where he got this Ashkenazi Jewish intelligence thing. And so like I looked, I just like put in quotation marks Ashkenazi Jews IQ, and it like, it just popped up Wikipedia page. And that's when I it would basically all the same sources he used in that article. And that's why and, and I, that's when I 
in my head, I realized like what they do. It's like they, they do that freshman ass essay writing technique that, 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 you know, 18 mm-hmm. year olds think you don't know about when you're teaching them where like they have the idea of what they want to write in their head already. They haven't done any research of it. They like, they just fucking let it come fully formed to them in the night. Then they find all of the evidence after they've written the thing, like based on their own ideas, assuming the evidence exists out there to support them. And that's why they, they in the end of the day, like they pick really fringe sources to find something. When he thought he, when he said bed bugs were anti-Semitic, and it was only one citation because he had already decided that bed bugs was anti-Semitic, and then he he went to find it afterwards. Apparently, they're bringing over an editor to edit the opinion section from the standards section of the New York Times. Yeah, I mean, they need to because they're not being edited. I mean, at least not critically. Right. Well, that's why Bennett Bennett probably isn't going to be taking over for um, uh, I don't know the other B word. The guy who's in charge. Uh, I know. I know Dean, the other B whatever. word. But you can't use it on the show because it's, it's sexist, motherfucker. Like we, we you got you got all your sexism uh, allotment in the last episode when you you called uh, Warren a liar. I, I did. I don't have any more sexism points. Anyway, um, so yeah, the uh, they're bringing over someone from standards to edit the uh, opinion section, especially because of Stevens. Even going back to what was saying, I mean, that, I hope it gets better, but that would require like a cleaning of a cleaning house. But again, even going back to what I was saying earlier about like what their role actually is, it's like you know people. And we, we disagree about the intentionality related to like all the, the white supremacy, they all the white nationalism and eugenics they publish. But like what is true is that like they get all this pushback and nothing really occurs because ultimately, even whether it's a mistake or whether it is a mistake or not, it's in line with their ideology. So it doesn't matter if it's a mistake. It's in line with what people want to hear. So like what their readers want to hear. So it, or rather within the bounds of reason of what our society wants to hear. So it doesn't matter if they make a mistake. It, the, the endorsement thing is just a big, you know, it's a bit just a big circle jerk because ultimately they just they like what i think they thought they were saying was that we're ready for woman president but what they actually are saying is that women are interchangeable and i i don't mean that like as a like as a uh i'm gonna outwoke these bastards shit but like no it'd be like because like I can acknowledge, no matter how much I've like soured Elizabeth Warren, that she's nowhere near as bad as Klobuchar. Their policies are like are night and day in some situations. Yeah, I mean that was the range of the Democratic Party before Sanders. I mean that was basically the range. Yeah, I mean honestly, I would still be happy if Elizabeth Warren was as far right as the country's political parties went. Like if Elizabeth Warren was still Republican, she, I would be like, yeah, this is a you know this is where we should be. <laughs> this is where she, we should. Yeah, these are le- these are legit arguments about capitalism. Yeah, these are legit. Like, if, right? like, like a country where like Warren and like the reincarnated the rather the reanimated body of Thomas Sankara and like you know essentially like in a robot suit were like the two candidates of the two parties the right party and the left party that would be a great country to live in I think that we would have like a lot better a lot, a lot better things right but like they're different like they're like they're like they're functionally different but this is this goes down to prompt people have been having awards at the beginning like they like they're refusing despite people liking Warren they just refuse to let her be her own candidate first she was Bernie and now she's Amy Klobuchar I'd be pissed if I were if I were Warren, if Warren supporters because like this is embarrassing for Warren it's really honestly it's embarrassing for every candidate that they couldn't secure this endorsement except for Bernie Sanders. It's like every candidate who like, I still believe they wanted to give it to Buttigieg because like, but that bread question that he fucked up like is what is why they couldn't. Yeah, it was like they were banking on seeing having too many clicks from that, and then the traffic. They don't want to overlap and eat their own story. And I mean, one of the well, other things well, I was mentioned was just that rage clicks are clicks too. So like, as you mentioned, but Buttigieg in the room, if you looked at the vote count, like the number three was Booker, and I think that they only reason Booker didn't get more was be, literally because he had just dropped out. 
which is wild like that that, that speaks to like the standards right because like the the like bernie is in number is number one this speaks to, like to the, the world's apart difference between like the who are arguably the opinion section i would say like it, you know you can have important opinions fringe opinions good writers they don't have any of those fucking things and they have a lot of fringe opinions they don't have any of those things at the you know, top of bed section but you could have that shit there you know you could you could have that it doesn't necessarily need to be like writers who are writing about like literally the pulse of america like who are representative of like your everyday average American, that's a different, that's, you know, that's, that should be part of it. They just have important, smart ideas that need to be articulated in an articulate way. Like, but the fact that like they were, they are so out of touch with the American population is, should, like, should be relatively disqualified. I would think it's like because like Bernie is in number is number one nationally now like he's number one nationally he was, he was probably number one when they they interviewed him I mean he did give them a lot of shit not enough shit they gave him enough shit to make to make it funny when he was when he when they were interviewing him but like yeah I love the meme where it's like first of all fuck all of you that was like my favorite meme that I saw after the interview with him in the chair with his finger up pointing down the table going first off I'd like to say fuck all of you like first of all uh, I don't tolerate bullshit and I don't really know why I'm here but they told me I had to come because it would be rude not to uh, but <laughs> yeah that was great but, uh, that, was, that was great I was like yeah I like that I'm not gonna call you on your birthday I, I don't really like you guys you know like it's I'm not I'm not a big I was like yo <laughs> I have like a big mood big mood for Bernie but Okay, I mean, now why can't he say that to the rest of the Democratic Party? Because he needs them right now. I mean, like, I think his decision, like, again, going back to the his like the Biden cutting Social security, you know, doctored video, quote unquote, like, you know, he disavowed kind of Zephyr Teachout when she wrote that article about Biden's corruption, which I think is a misplay because Biden is corrupt. Biden's family does benefit mm-hmm. from it. Like Biden's family does benefit from his like his position as the vice president. That is undeniable. And has for a while. And has for a long time, including like a hedge fund that his brother was running when he was just a senator. Like the, the thing that gets me that I can't fucking wait for is they're trying to trade right now during the impeachment process, Bolton taking the stand for Biden taking the stand and Hunter Biden taking the stand. And like if the Democrats do that, they're absolutely going to sink fucking Biden's whole political thing. But they think it's going to be a winning strategy somehow. Politically speaking or societally speaking, it is a problem to continue the narrative that like the soft corruption of the Democratic Party or and like the softer examples mm-hmm. of corrections of politics are OK just because like there are worse examples out there in the case of like Trump. Right. You know, like people say like, you shouldn't dare. You shouldn't damn the good with the per. You shouldn't damn the good with the perfect. It's like yeah, but the opposite side of that, the ugly twin of that argument, that you shouldn't absolve the bad because of the worst, right? You shouldn't take. You shouldn't say this bad thing is good because there is a worse thing. You should say this bad thing is bad, but it's not as bad as it could as it could be because like there's always a worse scenario. That's what a fucking primary is for to air these things and be like, hey, yo, this guy's massively corrupt. Maybe we don't elect him to go into uh, a general election where we have a opponent who is notorious for playing underhanded and lying or exaggerating about every little thing. No, the primary is a yeah. jobs program. That's why it's two years long. It's a jobs program for fucking, mm-hmm. for fucking loser, for loser consultants, for like for barely literate dildos. It was supposed to be a bunch of pageantry to kind of help rally and get people excited about the candidate and stuff. It wasn't even really intended to pick a candidate in the first place. That just kind of came along as part of the show. But one of the things the, about the, the teach out thing that got me was when I actually looked at the article, it's not even about Hunter Biden and that corruption. It's about the same arguments about big money corrupting, having a corrupting influence on politicians' votes as the Democratic Party uses all the time. 
Like all she did was look at Joe Biden's career and say, Hey, he's taken a lot of money from these guys and, and helped the, and voted against his constituents interest and their interest in this case, uh, when it was, you know, talking about, uh, I think it was banking and then it was, uh, or like loans, something along those lines. And then it was, uh, the leaving people uninsured and then also, uh, uh, housing cuts and talking about his cuts for social security as well. It was like, none of it was about uh, Hunter and like that stuff, which is, I would say uh, worse or like, you know, another layer above uh, that type of corruption. But this corruption is so normalized that all she did is use the argument that they use against Republicans and, uh, with the same types of things and the same issues even, and the same freaking like the same donors. And all she did is say, Hey, Joe Biden does it too. And they're like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, you got to apologize for that. And and that and when and when in when Bernie does apologize for that, it just makes me think, oh, okay. So now I know the bankers aren't going to jail. Everything none of that's happening. If he's apologizing to Democrats for this shit, then nothing we're not getting it. None of that's happening unless the people drag him there themselves. It's like he's he's not sending the, any, you know, authorities to get these people. That's not happening. And I think that I think that that's a possibility, honestly. And I think that that's a possibility. I think that Brandon's talk about being political and being politically savvy. I mean, he's always run on the high road. And maybe there's a shot that once he gets legit power, he can do something. I mean, there was a story out of Vermont when he was running, when he became mayor, and something having to do with the, the housing uh, project that he was working on on Lake Champlain had like a crooked deal, and he actually sent the guy to get charged. But um, the thing that like amazes me is like, you just mentioned all, like you said, the same exact fucking arguments that we, the Democrats use constantly about Republicans and have for 40 years. They're in bed with big money. Like they didn't, she didn't even mention the fact that Joe literally got his son on the board of Amtrak, which is a federal like program, uh, a federal uh, company. Like, that's a huge problem. He has no experience with trains, got him on the board. And then that's long before the Burisma stuff. And that's like he's got – so he actually has a track record, much like he has a 40-year track record of doing um, Social Security cuts and advocating for Social Security cuts. He's had a 40-year track record of getting his brother and his son onto jobs that they shouldn't be having. Well, yeah. I mean like it, it. Joe Biden is clearly corrupt. But I think part of that has to do – and this is maybe – this is not an excuse, although I will say to – you know, in, to, uh, in reaction to Richard's nay saying, you know, they executed – uh, Mr. Peanut today for high treason. So like, you know, maybe, you know, of course it is the anniversary of the execution of Steve Bannon. So, you know, there is a precedent for us actually punishing people that way. So maybe, maybe once Bernie comes in, comes into office, uh, we'll, we'll see similar, you know, similar public displays of what's what I'm looking for. Uh, rehabilitation, as the kids are saying, you know, rehabilitation, but just going back to the like that the stupid ass interview, I mean the stupid ass like endorsement process. They did those interviews and they released the clips, and like most of the clips fucking sucked, right? Like I, I I'm not gonna mince words. There was the funny one when it came to like Pete Buttigieg, like clearly lying about not knowing anything about the bread fixing scandal. Uh, like it's impossible. He's a, he he just heard about it yesterday. That's like in, again impossible. It's like, but that's so impossible that people don't believe it because it's like, no, you worked there. Like you would have heard about it once you left because like you would have just someone would have told mentioned it. Someone would have mentioned it to you. Like of course. Yeah, you, and that shit don't slide like it did with Obama. When he's like, oh, I just heard about that on the news with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, but here's the thing: if you just found out about that today, you're too stupid to be president. <laughs> like that's like that's a it's like that's like 
you know, it, it might be gauche to say, but a lot of this stuff comes down to like, not just assuming, I, I never assume people are doing things accidentally, but like a lot of this comes down to like, you know, if you accept a lot of the premises here, whether it be like Warren didn't know about blood quantum or the history of Native American and like the problematic issue of people adopting their identities or Pete Buttigieg didn't hear about the, uh, didn't hear about the fucking bread fixing scandal. It's like, well, then they're too stupid to be president. It's like, so like either they are actively malicious and then so that they're smart and they're like, and, but they're bad and you shouldn't vote for them or they're too stupid to be president because I've heard about the quantum thing. Like, like, you know, you learn about that shit in, in high school. So like you believe it or you don't, but like, it's impossible to believe that like a, someone who worked at a place where at the time they were doing it would have heard about it, even much less before, or after he would have heard still. And B, that a Harvard law professor doesn't know about like, what it what it means to be a member of the Cherokee Nation, right? Like that's like that's like that's just not heard of. The point the point being though, it's like the only other clip of I really watched about that, and I, I read some excerpts about why they chose to like endorse um, women, uh, whatever, um, for president. Like just all women, I guess. You like they're going to just have Amy Klobuchar, and you know they're going to sew Amy Klobuchar and Warren, and maybe bring back Kamala Harris, make a human centipede, and you can just vote for that. You can vote for that shit, and that, that could be president. Uh, but like that question that they asked, like. Bernie Sanders, the clip that was going around, like they asked Bernie Sanders that question on race, and they were like, "Do you think that, like, you know, based the the gist of the the gist of the question? I don't remember the exact words. Where like, oh, do you believe that, like, Trump appealed, or rather, can you attribute Trump's appeal, uh, you know, to racist appeals having effect on like the material deprivation or the economic anxiety, to use the word that was flowing around afterwards, of like people in America, poor white people, poor people, whatever, and like I thought." Bernie's answer was like, was great. I mean, I don't think he went hard enough on like the complicity of the media or like the hegemonic nature of racism or bigotry, but he had like a 30 seconds. It was like, you know, a quick, a, a quick and dirty answer. In the video clip, he didn't, but when the longer yeah. answer that you saw on the transcript, he did a much better job of pointing out those things. Yeah, but even at the clip, the, the, the quick and dirty clip was good too, right? And then, of course, people got, you know, got their, got like all up in, like, rather, people were immediately jumping on him, like saying he was, <laughs> yeah, people, Immediately got on the say he was like, you know, he was being class reductionist, or whatever. And I was like, no, like he's clearly making an argument that could be better fleshed out about whether or not, or rather about like the fact that when, you know, when you have a society like ours where like racism and sexism and all those great things are the great isms are hegemonic, and then you have a media culture like the New York Times that consistently feeds into those things. We have a dominant media culture that consistently feeds into those tropes, at least in certain levels. New York Times specifically publishes fucking eugenicists and shit. So I don't like, I don't even know how they can disagree with this, right? That it makes people more willing to accept bigotry as a, rather, it makes people more willing to accept bigotry as a reasonable thing or reasonable compromise if it's weighed against their material well-being or some other thing that might benefit them, right? Or rather- Well, it also goes to what you were talking about earlier about like a narrative to explain the ills of their life. You know, when you can, when you have something that makes more sense than what the media is telling you, then that's what you go with. Yeah, exactly. But even then, like the idea, I get a little bit frustrated with the argument, like with like what people acting like completely like shocked by that, by by that analysis, because it, it makes sense. It makes sense like on like, 
it makes sense even if you put boundaries around it to just talk about the New York Times, right? So first of all, my first reaction was being a little pissed off because they were asking about racist appeals and they publish racist shit all the time. And so I'm like, okay, but like you could just look inwardly. But the the second part of that is like, okay, so you don't think that economic anxiety makes people more willingness to compromise on bigotry. Okay, I'm I'm willing to walk with you to that pier. Then why don't you, and not maybe you specifically, but why don't all of the, you know, the quote unquote good liberal writers who work there, and not to name any name, but you know what I'm talking about, or any op-ed section where like they're, where they're publishing race science or, you know, they're continuing to publish the bell, you know, article about the bell curve by Charles Murray, or they're just like having think piece writers, you know, write about why Raytheon is good or whatever. Like, why don't those people just leave that job? It's like it's like uh, like do they not recognize that it's bad to like publish race science? Do they not recognize race science is bad? The, the New York Times has to issue retractions and edits that say that like it, we we're sorry for for like for citing white nationalists. It's like so why don't they leave that job? What exactly keeps what exactly keeps them there? It's like why like why don't they leave? Why don't they find another job? Why don't they just why don't they do something else? Like if, like if racism should be a non-starter for everybody, especially poor people, right? Like, you know, like, we know that we know that Trump was not predominantly supported by like the poor working class. That's just a narrative that shifts the blame from like rich people and cent- like and center-right people who voted for Trump for tax cuts or whatever to like the onto the shoulders of the poor who are you know who we you know typify or essentialize as being irrational and always voting against their own interests and not knowing what's good for them. It's like, you know, why do the rich liberals who are making $135,000 or $250,000, but like are super anti-racist or super anti or anti, um, you know, uh, super feminist, why don't they leave those jobs when like when someone publishes, uh, you know, publishes an article saying we should redistribute sex? Like, why don't we leave? Why don't why don't they leave those jobs? Explain that to me in a way that doesn't sound like bullshit. Because I would argue they don't do it because they have because they're worried about being able to make ends meet. They They have to take care of their family. It's like, it, it, it's, it's un, I would argue that people would think it's unreasonable to expect them to leave that job. Right. Every time you bring that shit up, they always point to, well, look at what the, the good environmental reporting that the New York Times is doing. Oh, I mean, honestly, like the, the New York Times, like people always try to balance against their other reporting. But I got to be honest with you. A, the New York, the, it, it's all right. It's just, just so much of it, obviously, because they have so much money. But like the reporting is not immunized from like the politics that are it being that are being uh shown on the op-ed section they're just it's just better it's just better it was better edited right but it's like it's just a different type of writing it's like because they also lied us into the fucking iraq war like that was reporting that wasn't op- were op-eds it's just like that they, they reported that shit they were like that was- right and, and a lot of the stuff that they're now doing apart and again getting back to that uh standard they're coming over is that they're having an attribution problem of all across the board of the new york times and the washington post where smaller outlets are getting the stories and they're not actually even try to make a coherent argument because they knew there wasn't even one there so they just kind of like this is how we feel you know <laughs> and it was like they literally could have just added that that one photo of fucking like neve from um catfish where he's in the elevator retweet out he's just like there's no misogyny in these elevate in this elevator ladies and that like that's what their endorsement was like, like that was like the that was the equivalent of their endorsement of amy klobuchar and elizabeth warren like i i hate to say because again i'm no fan of joe rogan not to like you know 
like like play the skeptic. But like the endorsement from Joe Rogan, or rather not the endorsement, Joe Rogan like tacitly going, I think I'm going to vote for Bernie Sanders, you know, and a Bernie Tulsi ticket. That would be crazy. That would be great. It's like, yeah, there's Joe. But like, like that endorsement has so much more weight behind it. Just like him going on Joe Rogan's show has so much more weight behind it than him doing that stupid ass interview for New York Times. Like they're like their weird endorsement apprentice. Just be based on who, just because of who Joe Rogan is and who Joe Rogan's audience is. And the fact that he said it directly to Barry Weiss was fucking hysterical. <laughs> who the fuck is Barry Weiss? You're just making shit up now. Anyway, what are you going to say, Richard? Oh, well, uh, I think we covered. Uh, how Bernie handled it and that I mean as far as uh, 70 plus year old white guys uh, was pretty good as far as I'm concerned like uh, generally but I do see some of the, the the problematic nature of his response even in in full in that it, it speaks to kind of a larger issue go that off, I think King, go off tell us seeing from Bernie uh, the way I kind of uh, encapsulated in my mind was uh, that he's kind of like a doctor with bad bedside manner but I think it speaks to like an inability or an unwillingness to kind of believe and empath points of view that he can't that he hasn't lived or didn't see individually or like don't, don't relate to his life I, I don't i think that's just something that we all suffer with the older you get the more set in your ways in general and then also if so if you're not always super open to it it can be harder to get open to it over time and so i just think that when it comes to how bernie sees the issue of race i think he sees it differently than a lot of the modern kind of and not neoliberal identity politics or identity reductionism but more like an actual comprehensive and i think it's actually good when we see it with uh steyer you know steyer's trying to glad hand him and bernie's like you know buzz off guy and it's like so that's like that's good you know i like the idea that he's gonna you know tell billionaires to you know go shove it instead of you know start licking their boots so that's that's good but when it comes to more marginalized voices that aren't part of the hegemonic narratives that already exist in america in even on you know the more left side of america uh that it becomes harder to hear and it becomes more dangerous. And particularly one of the ways that it comes to my mind uh, and leans on the doctor metaphor is, and we've also seen a kind of a rash of TikToks recently from nurses, but basically black women, mothers are high, have a higher mortality rate and suffer all sorts of medical consequences as a result of people not believing their stories because they don't fit the hegemonic ideas or they don't, uh, fit the hegemonic perceptions of who's telling who's honest in the first place or the stories don't match up to how they think uh you know somebody should be in that situation so they're you know pill seeking or you know they're you know exaggerating or they're doing all these other types of things and so like i think there's an element of that that we see when bernie talks about race issues uh in general though like uh i I know, so please, for God's sakes, don't tweet at me his <laughs> civil rights I mean, history and say, all that. Like, I think his civil rights history is impressive insofar as that he doesn't talk about it as much as you'd imagine like any other candidate talk would talk about it, right? Like, he did march with King, right? And I mean, he mentions it, at, people like he talks about it all the time, but like, I have to hear about Amy Klobuchar's fucking father every time she talks about Amy Klobuchar's boyfriends and father and all this other stupid shit, uh, Cory Booker's uh, fake, fake black friend which is weird when you're black to have a fake black friend. You can talk about your fucking brother or some shit. Like, I mean, I have, to, I have to hear about all these like, like these vague, personal, made-up bullshit narratives about like Warren's Peepaw and Meemaw and all the other shit that's going on. But like, and so I know for a fact that if any of them had March for King, we would never stop. Oh yeah, <laughs> happy March to King Jr. Day. <laughs> I totally, anyway. 
had any of them marched with King, uh, like they would be, it would be front and center on their fucking like web page. It would be the, it would be on every banner. It's just like, like what they would, why it's not is because they hadn't marched with King and why they don't like, they don't like Bernie bringing it up is because it, again, you know, talking about dispelling myths and narratives, it's part of a lot of like, liberals even our age personal like personal mythology that they would have marched became that they would have been in the civil rights movement that they they would have done all that stuff that that their favorites would have done that stuff but here's the thing their favorites are all 70 years old and they didn't do that they didn't do any of that stuff warren didn't march with king biden didn't march with king uh i don't the rest of them i don't remember their names they didn't like none of them marched with king right clinton didn't march with king she was fucking with barry goldwater at the time which was actually after she listened to king she went and volunteered for goldwater and she said that listening to king changed her so yeah yeah changed her to be the the segregationist (laughs) exactly what they don't, I mean, trying to get that Biden clout, but no, like what, what they don't like is that he did do it and that it's a constant reminder that that their favorites did not do it. And also a constant reminder that they wouldn't have done it because they don't do it now. And I don't mean they don't like they don't like get they don't march or get involved with active in that. Like that's like that's a more of a difficult thing that some people just aren't really like that. Although more people should be. But like, like that they don't even like tacitly support analogous movements like now right it's like the, or rather you know and so this, this actually goes back to martin king jr they like the impetus that people have to go oh well who would martin luther king jr support in a primary it doesn't fucking matter who knows because we don't know what you know where he would be right now he'd probably be further to the left because we know when he died he was grappling with the you know the problems with nonviolence and the, the issues with you know the media erasing that kind of or rather white white people erasing uh you know activism that wasn't you know that rather white people become more accustomed to his activism uh you know he was organizing across you know for class and race like he did his entire career he was criticizing white moderates he didn't like the fbi like a lot of liberals tend to do now so we know he wouldn't you know he wouldn't be like enmeshed in that world but no he would he would have been fucking running himself and coming out to fucking 50 cent mini men he'd be running on the psl like the fucking psl line or some shit and he might win right he might have been our nelson mandela we know because he was assassinated by the fbi the same fbi who tweeted out a, a positive a positive message and the same fbi that people were championing because they thought they would you know, liberal championing because they thought that you know he that it would be an end to Trump or some shit. And of course, that didn't pay off because the FBI never pays out. But also, shout out to Jabuki for that FBI tweet. Yeah, that shit was, was great. Jabuki self self uh, self out. He didn't say self terminated, but like, he he deactivated his account to avoid getting the ban. So I mean, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, chaotic nature. But, you know, shout out, longtime friend of the show, Jabuki. Uh, but no, like he like he dispels that personal narrative about their life, and you know they don't support. They don't like. Every white person, at least every white liberal, is waiting to tell us how, when Black Lives Matter went too far, right? You know, every like every white liberal is waiting to tell us like how you know Colin Kaepernick is, you know, like, he's just being a little too aggressive in his kneeling, right? And but then like but then they they support but then they support fucking Martin Luther King Jr. or Muhammad Ali like because of the p- of political nature of that. You know, it, it's ridiculous. You know, I know that fucking Martin King Jr. would be would be pro Palestinian liberation. I think that goes without saying. Like, I mean, honestly, so like if you don't support those things, it's, it's irrelevant. But again, getting a little bit off track, the, you know, the, like, I agree with your assessment. I don't think that he has, I don't think that his views on race are that discordant from like 
what like I would say, I don't see the mainstream left, but like from our views on race though, but I agree that his language about race is not as good as ours, not as good as a lot of people, not as good as, not as good as, unfortunately, not as good as people who are far, who are further to the right than he is when it comes to actually solving the issues of racial inequality or gender inequality. And I think that's where, you know, we agree in the essence of it. Like someone made a tweet and I think it was correct that by that, that Bernie is not fluent in the language of any other type of oppression other than class. Like he knows how to like mention, oh yeah, class comes over the racial lines and gender lines. You can see it play out this way, but there are certain aspects of it that are missing. But like you said, to me, that's not weird from a night from an older person who obviously was indoctrinated or rather who's like who the language of choice that he or rather like the language of choice or the his expertise is rooted in a very specific thing right you know he's trying to get policies passed that you know like social security structural change stuff like that like that's like that's his expertise and he he stays in his lane because he's older and he's stuck in his ways that's not that is not to that's not to his benefit and it's not a sign of his own virtue, but it's understandable, right? To me, that's understandable. So understand about a 75 year old who like, you know, whose political awakening came in like the sixties and seventies and then eight and like in fifties and, you know, whatever to have good racial politics impulsively, you know, impulsively good racial impol- politics. And, but, you know, the language to be faltering because like the language back then, like of like of black leaders and other black, like of some right. Yeah. Right. What I but here but the the counterpoint to that is when people say that the the obverse side of that is that the people who in the Democratic Party who are fluent in that language are not actually interested in enacting any kind of structural change to, to combat the problem that they that they that they can so mm-hmm. articulately describe. It's like and so and so in the day like language is just a tool, right? Language is both a tool and it can be a goal, it can be the purpose of thing. But in this case, in the case of politics, I would argue in the case of this kind of politics, it's a, it's a tool to communicate things. It, but you know, in this case, or, or rather to enact change, it should be part of change. I mean, obviously, you know, the process and language you use should be in should be coherent with the change you're trying to enact and i would argue that his is so it's understandable and this is not to make excuses what is not understandable to me and i said this on twitter also again are people who like use the language of intersectionality and critical race theory and they want to cite bell hooks and they want to cite you know any number of they want to cite martin Luther king jr they want to cite any number of people but they're also pro-imperialist imperialism you know, mm-hmm. they, they're not sure about whether or not, uh, you know, Evo Morales was legally elected. They're not, they're not, they're not sure about, you know, ending the embargo on Cuba. They're not sure about like mili- about brutal sanctions on Iran being a form of violence. They're not sure about those. Like, it's like that to me makes a lot less sense than, you know, than like an, a 75 year old man who is, you know, more or less fluent in the language of politics and policy and structural change and not so fluent in the language of your like of, of you know critical race theory that that being said though like he's not he's not your sociology professor he's not my he's not my sociology professor it's like I don't yeah know. no one of the things that i thought and said was just that you know he's he's a person that's what he's gonna be he's a human being first and foremost and that's all that he can be and he's not gonna be liberation or anything like that and so i think part of what why it concerns me is just uh, my overarching concern about that stems all the way back from 2016 
when I was a adv- uh, advocate for Bernie Sanders, you know, I made a bunch of calls and all that stuff. But then he had the the race moments uh, at Netroots and so on and so forth, and the the vitriol that I saw towards just the the concern about racial issues that disregarded like that wasn't in a result of just because of like the political nature of the the situation but also just spoke to uh, what to me i think hampton talked about it as well but essentially people that are caught up in the movement because they want something and one of the things that i saw people especially back in 2016 before uh, trump really rallied most of those people away from sanders uh were uh people that basically saw in class analysis and opportunity uh as a white man to become a victim again like they they found the victimization status that they were looking for with identity politics and the weird contortions that they would do and they found that in class analysis through bernie sanders and that i don't think that's most of his supporters or all of them or anything like that but it is a large enough segment that it concerns me that uh with uh, sanders in office that uh, you might end up with the fdr style kind of uh, progressive policy that leaves out marginalized communities. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't think that that's a possibility. I think that, that you're right about the, that segment of the Bernie supporter crowd. Um, I've seen a little bit of it myself, um, but I don't think that they occupy or will they occupy or will even be allowed to occupy any positions of power or even an endorsement because he's so particular about his endorsements. I mean, fuck, he didn't even endorse his son. So, like, I don't think that you're going to see a lot of those people riding the Bernie coattails to get into place. Um, and I think one of the... What I saw in 26... or I was just going to say quickly is what I saw in 2016 was that uh, when I saw other Sanders supporters uh, stand up to them and, and call them out and then get supported by other more Sanders supporters, that that did have an effect. And so when if Sanders supporters see that, it's, it's good to, you know, it's like, I understand, you know, some person says something stupid online and you want to rail on them on Twitter. But when you come across and you see somebody that's dropping inappropriate stuff that vert, uh, goes into racial animus and stuff like that, standing up and saying something uh, isn't just, you know, white knighting. It's actually, it, it means something, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's solidarity. My, and, and not It's solidarity. And we should have solidarity across, you know, across class lines, across gender lines, across, you know, able body lines. But allow me to play white devil's advocate for a moment. Wow, I don't and, have you know, to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, I, I thought I, that's what we got here. Yeah, I thought that's the whole point of me being here, man. All right. If you're going to take my whole fucking shit from me, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be here for. No, I, I don't know if there's a comma in there, but it's like, no, I'm playing the advocate for the white devil. Okay, I'm not I got a white, you. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's, a, it's like a little English linguistic trick thing. But like, so like you want to you want to point to the fact that hey, you know, if you're a leftist, you're a socialist, you know, you're a leftist of many different tendencies. Part of that needs to engage with like many identities, the oppression, how oppression is rooted across the lines. Because even let's say you know. Again, going forward, let's say you are a class reductionist personally, even though, you know, I think these people exist in like tiny numbers and are not like a coherent movement. But let's say you are. It's like even if you understand just from a practical standpoint, you have to understand that not everyone else is. Right. So you have to be able to explain that, you know, you'll be able to talk to people in a way they understand to get them to go from point A to point B. Right. And I think that Sanders has gotten better at that. Right. Sanders has been better at being able to get people 
Like he's mastered enough mm-hmm. of the language to be able to get people from point A to point B. And that's like the most important thing. We were talking about language as like a, like a functional thing. The one where he nailed it was at the debate with the climate thing. And they're like, oh, we're talking about he's exactly. like, climate yeah, is, so race, I think, I think is racial issue. There. But what I would say is that like, you know, the the white victimology, the, the, the complex victimology that the that, you know, like that is on display from reactionaries is, you know, it's, it, it exists in like the mainstream democratic circles too. Like, you know, like, because they are in many ways reactionary, like, you know, they are reactionary, but at the highest level, like there was a tweet today. Some woman was, was comparing being a white woman with a PhD to being a, fu- a literal fucking slave. Like, 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 a, like, a, like being a white woman with a PhD and like a six figure job. Like, oh, I, you know, my, my law professor at Harvard said, if I'm lucky, I, I'll just, I'll be only three fifths of a person. And so I'll only make like 150 K a year as a, don't, don't bring Heffernan into my fucking shit, man. I really do not need any more of her. Is, is that is that her name, Carolina Heffer, Heffernan? Yeah, she's the one who's the LA Times opinion writer who did the Hillary. No, life. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to know anything about. Wrote, no, no. You, you you brought her up. You're gonna have to know this. She wrote an article oh, saying that Hillary was light itself. My black ass worried about calling prison fucking labor slavery, and she over here comparing her PhD ass. To, I'm done. Clearly, that complex victimology is like is is hegemonic, right? Because that because that comes down to like fragility, and fragility. Although people again, you know, the idea of fragility is is typified by like white fragility, but like. Fragility is, I would argue, ex, you know, you can extrapolate that out to any overclass and their desire to frame themselves as not being the overclass, but in the position of power, right? Like, no, like no one is in power except for Trump, apparently, and everyone else is just like going along, Plato. So, like, that's an, like the underlying thing. There is that we have uh, we have that kind of hegemonic idea. It goes back to people that like, uh, is in the back of people's heads, and it mobilizes in different ways, right? So, I but the, the thing I would just say is like I expect better of people from that's the right. left because they should be able to understand that that exists, right? And like, if if you mm-hmm. like, I would argue that you know if you're on the left and you know it's just you're not necessarily your job, but it's it's incumbent upon you to educate yourself because it's not sufficient to just decide that you're on the left and and then therefore decide that like liberalism or conservatism or neoconservatism or neoliberalism or is it it just no longer affects you because that's liberal thing that's the promise of neoliberalism that you can inoculate yourself from bigotry simply by having a a particular group alignment or particular ideological leaning versus like actually looking you know basically doing critical analysis of the society and how it got the way it did and so well, and then also defining themselves by their enemies, you know, like in a way that like, well, I'm, I'm opposed to the Democrats. I'm opposed to the Republicans. Now that makes me a socialist. Yeah, I mean, it's I, like, no, that, that's not, that's, that's not I, how it I works. People have gotten There's a little bit more a little to bit it. More involved in the process of like self-identifying politically in the, in the wake of Trump being elected because they've been forced to actually look into like politics, right? Because they, they if, if only psychologically by nature of looking like and feeling like they're under the constant mm-hmm. oppression of like a dictator, like they've been forced to like actually, you know, have a coherent in like proactive definition of their own political agenda and like actually start to like form boundaries around it and not not just oppositionally. And a lot of people are finding that that the Democratic Party simply does not actually represent them. I mean, shit, uh, someone like 
literally as we were talking, uh, someone just like some a, a high ranking elected official in South Carolina switched their switched their endorsement from Biden to Sanders. Yep. And so I think well. part of it, like, is, like, it, it's a slow process when it comes to. So like, that, uh, wait, to like, there's to, more to that. Now that means that Sanders is only down, I believe, one endorsement from uh, an, uh, an official in South Carolina. So I just remember saying he's only down. He's only down one point in South Carolina. I was like, I was like, how, I was like shit, how many people are in South Carolina? No, he's, <laughs> he's down one endorsement. So there's now, I believe it's <laughs> one 12 to 10. I believe it's now. Um, uh, I think it was now 12 to 11 in terms of number of endorsements of yeah. officials of South Carolina. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think. Uh, now Nate's going to have to come up with a brand new like, model to explain why Bernie Sanders is losing. It's insane of my analogy like, that pundits are basically fucking, that centrist pundits are basically astrologers. Because like, he literally does just use like the science of the day to provide comfort to like the, like the, brain addled centrist class and the, the coddle them that's all he does it's like he comes up with algorithms and other shit it's like you know tip the scales a little bit to get you know to give them kind of weight but that's becoming harder and harder to do as like it becomes more and more overwhelmingly certain that like sanders is you know is moving to the head of the pack but i, I would so like again i i want to emphasize that i agree with what you're saying richard like i think sanders could do better when it comes to mastering the language of race but i think that at the same time you know like we we've seen what like having the Africana professor in chief is like Africana slave professor in chief is like, and what it is is it's disappointing mm-hmm. because like when you because like because at a certain point this is like obviously incredibly reductive, but at a certain point like when your job is to like when when you're a public servant your job is try to enact policy to help people like having that like having that level of mastery of social justice language like sounding like a sociology professor it makes me wonder like what are you really spending your time doing and why have you learned this language I mean you could say hey you know what this person really interested in the deliberation of people of color of the global south of women of all of all marginalized groups or as it's been true for the past 30 40 years it's a way from them for them to distract from like not actually having structural solutions to those problems and it makes and it it's a way for them to form a new economy a new uh theoretical viability along with being an opposition republican party for why their party is better and more morally just and all other shit but you know, at the end of the day, they don't like they don't support the things that they click. They they just want to acknowledge the problem and move on. Like I I think that we're talking when talking about liberalism and like the Democratic Party and like they're like they're like closest aligned like centrist like uh. Well, what you what everything you've outlined just now you're talking about. I mean, like the, I forget the name of the writer, but a writer in 1930s Germany said the exact same thing about the liberals that were in Germany. And what the fuck happened to the Weimar Republic? It was the exact same shit. The exact same language was used to critically describe them that they're mastering the language without doing anything to address the needs. So, so like, I mean, speak- you know, the thing is, is that now you have, like, I was just looking at a tweet, like Justin Jackson has been involved in politics since Northwestern in terms of having conversations, but he's only been vocal for what, three months now? And he has a better grasp of the language of intersectionality as it's applied to actually doing things than most of the politicians in the Democratic Party. Because for them, it, because for them, it's not, it's not like it's, it's just the way to obscure the fact that they're not actually interested in liberation. Yeah, whereas he is, like you know, like it, it, 
but I mean, I just to go on your, your point is semi related. Like there were a lot, there were a lot of like in the aftermath of World War II, there were quite a few analyses of what happened in Nazi Germany, what led up to Nazi Germany and the Holocaust that implicated like what, what I would you know I would call centrics. I, I use like that definition too. Like the people who were under the Weimar Republic, you know, like who were quite comfortable and after World War One and like all the shit that occurred after that, and like you know, and like the 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 uh the shit um the depression after that who felt their comfort becoming more and more precarious you know they started feeling the crunch as everyone was and so they were they were very amenable to the message of the nazis and authoritarian that they were going to restore greatness to 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 germany they were very amenable to the message it's only after it's only ironically like decades after where the narrative starts to mirror more how we talk about like how trump got elected where it's like oh no no the working class germans they were the ones like they were the ones who were pushing it it's like mm, i mean partially but like you're raising a large part of that picture and like an, and i i would still i mean we I mean, still have fuck, the brown shirts were made up of like disenfranchised middle-class kid soldiers who came back and didn't know what to do with themselves because there were no fucking work for them you mean you mean like the guy that trump might have pardoned right exactly <laughs> no, no. And, and, but, i mean like that's exactly it you had a ready-made army in the street that was literally used to break up the formation of unions because they were afraid of what would happen in the soviet union in 1918 and then all of a sudden like we have the exact same thing marching at the, the second amendment rally in what was it virginia or wherever that happened the other day I mean, the exact, that's a fucking brown shirt. It's the exact same fucking people. But that goes back to what we were talking about with the New York Times question about, like, you know, Trump's appeal to, uh, Trump's racist appeal to why they are effective. It's like they asked that question without even understanding that, like, as part of the, you know, the informational infrastructure, a big part of informational infrastructure of our society, it's like they're part of that reason. It's like because they because they publish racist narratives that are, that range in level of how coded they are. Right. It's like, it's like that. Like that's a, that's a very, it's like that. And not just that, but I mean, going back even further to what you said earlier, they also don't provide a narrative of the world that makes sense to the people who are outside their bubble. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, if you, whether you want to talk about like, whether, whether you want to talk about the rise of class reduction or the rise of Trump, if you fail to acknowledge that both of those things are really the rise of all our, like, is, is because like there has been an absence of class analysis at the highest levels of our political media, like that's I think uh you know that's malfeasance or malpractice because like that's what gives it purchase. Like there is this there is this entire vacuum or rather it's black box around capitalism and even some of the effects of capitalism, the the functions of it as opposed to the eccentricities of it. Like people dying on the street is an eccentricity, but like there's a, a people dying on the street is like an extreme example of capitalism. But like just the, a huge homeless population is more of just like a function that you kind of got to you have to accept because otherwise you know you like then the housing market doesn't really work the way it's supposed to and blah 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 but you know other than that it's like not understanding that like the reason that these arguments no matter how reductive or how shallow or how whatever have purchased in people's minds is because like they've this is the first they're hearing anything like this you know, that, hey, maybe all my problems aren't my fault. Maybe it's not just because I'm lazy. You know, maybe it's because there is a system out there that is, you know, essentially designed to prevent me or make it very unlikely that I'll succeed. You know, and so, like, all the only thing that you have to do 
in order to prevent that from happening is be better at providing a narrative or a have a platform and lots of money but like theory you know all else being equal per, you know craft a more compelling narrative that interweaves race and gender into that analysis but here's the thing even peterson forms falls within neoliberalism and, and the thing is is that that neoliberal model is i mean you look at the first neoliberals they were in 1920 italy i believe and they were the precursors to the fascists and the fascists in italy enacted the neoliberal economic models as a direct result and so now we've just taken it to be a larger system that they intended so you know it's like the two are interlinked i think like the rise of fascism and neoliberalism are massively fucking interlinked so it's not just like the the liberalism and liberals old school liberals themselves fail to meet the demands that we're talking about well the stressors on the system when you have neoliberalism which leads to fascism well the theory uh, the, the idea was that they were going to enact the right rules and the right uh, basically metrics in order to make the meritocracy function appropriately and that's Warren's capitalism with rules but that doesn't function that's liberalism that's like the classical idea of liberalism and that doesn't exactly. ever, ever fucking work <laughs> And even like in 1920s Italy and 1930s Germany, they were talking about the failures of liberalism and how the failures of liberalism in government have all, the only answer was, okay, we have these privileges already stated because of the way that the economy is working or because of the way that the social economy is working. And if we move towards a more equitable system, either some form of socialism or democratic socialism, we, the people in power who are pulling all these levers, are going to lose all of that. So what else do we have? And that's why neoliberalism was invented, and then that moved right into fascism. So I mean, but but that what you're describing is like the central, the central, or rather one of the central ways that liberalism, I mean neoliberalism, liberalism, but I mean neoliberalism this time, like makes itself legitimate, right? The, all, all you can really do is like replace like ethical and practical and moral rationality with technical rationality. You, know, you have to, you know, like that, like that's one of the ways that the, you know the Holocaust happened. You know, you like the the brutal efficiency, the bureaucratic efficiency, the uh, the administrative efficiency of the industrial revolution, industrialization made it very easy to you know replace, you know, very easy to replace the ethical concerns and practical concerns with the technical rationality. And the same like the 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 many brutal excesses of our current society is it is still enabled by technical rationality being laundered through the idea of process being laundered through the idea of you know proper channels you know legitimizing violence through the state and also like the the the, the administrative and the administrative and brutal and, and uh, ubiquitous efficiency of the digital age but I would say this I mean going back to the Biden thing from earlier. It's like that's why he's in. That's why that is why he's in the lead. You know, he he can claim that he you know he's polling well among black people because he knows all lyrics to country grammar by Nelly. But no, it's because he was he was fucking Obama's Obama's uh sign to racist with the Democratic Party that he that he was willing to play ball. It's like so it's a, I mean it's a good and bad sign. Good in the sense that like they're abandoning that practicality argument and trying to pretend it didn't happen, but bad in the sense that it's again an unequally applied insult because like that was I I thought that was a good thing to do according to Democrats. You you have to appeal to racists. Like you like you you have to, right? Yeah, that you was, have to launch your campaign there. at Stone Mountain. It's like like that's not uh, that's not my luck. I think that's bullshit. I think you don't. I think you only have to appeal to racists if you don't have like if you don't have real solutions to people's problems. But like that's what they said they were doing. That's what they said they had to do. It. So I don't understand why why appealing to racists is bad if you're appealing to like 
If you're appealing, if you're appealing to racists in a way that does not enrich millionaires, then it's bad. Like if you're appealing to racists in a way that like benefits the wealthy, then it's good. So like if it's okay to appeal to rich bigots, but not okay to appeal to poor bigots, I don't think the variable there is bigotry. I think it also touches on uh, the uh, Biden corruption thing about how uh, Bernie just turned Democratic rhetoric and the same exact same stuff and turned it towards Biden. Suddenly that, that's unacceptable. And it also points back to the what you talked about uh, towards the top of the show with Hillary Clinton and the running up the popular vote. And the Electoral College is like the Electoral College was designed to prevent somebody from being popular and winning because they were popular, but not because they had the support of the establishment uh, figures. And so like that's why it's so hard it's like part of why it's so hard to win the popular or like why she uh shouldn't have been able to like why she shouldn't have even pursued that strategy in the first place but it it, it's all feeds into this kind of narrative of they're complaining about a system that they design and it feeds also back towards trump and that they're complaining about voters that they built you know, it's like you're complaining about these voters now not following along with your the random contortions that you're making with policy or uh, with your uh, racial politics or whatever it is. And then they get mad when suddenly they don't follow them to the next incoherent aspect of it. And it just keeps happening over and over again. And I, to my point earlier is I think that's causing people to be like, hey, I just made an argument based off this other thing you said. And now I got to go talk to that same person at work and you're telling me the complete opposite. They're going to know that I'm full of shit now. <laughs> like that upsets me, makes me uncomfortable. It makes my life uneasy. It's like now I have to resolve that. And Bernie stands as an easy resolution to that. But that also concerns me in that there's going to need to be revolutionaries after Bernie that actually do the work that he's not going to be able or willing to do from office. And uh, I, I'm con- I keep reiterating the concern because I, I find it important that uh, there's going to be a lot. It's just the first step. There's a lot of work to do after he gets elected. And uh, sometimes I feel like I wish I could just uh, make calls for Bernie if it would mean that the people that are tweeting about Bernie would read some theory. I would make that trade in heartbeat. I mean, I think, I think what makes Bernie so great that, like, I mean, well, good, right, is that he's actually a step in the right direction, right? I think that, like, you know, you know, it's this is what makes being on the left harder, where it's like if you are just a Democrat or Republican, but specifically we're talking about Democrat primary for Democrat, like, you know, a lot of Democrats, and we talked about this last episode too, it's just like the appeal of Warren is that you can just vote for her and stop doing things. You know, you can, you can, you can, you can vote for Warren and then you have a smart person in charge who's going to take care of everything and you know, go back to brunch. go back to brunch. And it's just like the, what makes, I think what makes leftists burn out faster is that when you have an understanding of the full scope of the problem, you have a better understanding of the full scope of what the solution will entail. It's like a multi-generational solution, right? It's a multi-generational solution that requires, uh, you know, and so it's, it's, it's easier to, you know, fall into the doldrums, become become lethargic, or become depressed by that that you know that aspect of it. But you got to start somewhere. You know, what's the, what's the old saying? The, what, the best time to plant a tree was twenty years ago. The next best time is today, right? Rest for the time is right now. Yeah, no, I, I had some major breakthroughs with uh, some liberals that I converse with on a regular basis, and uh, it wasn't you know they're not going to be radical socialists or anything, but they went from Hillary supporters in twenty sixteen and fighting with me about, you know, call me all sorts of names for supporting Bernie to being Bernie supporters now. And so like, 
No one e- progress can no happen. No one even likes Hillary Clinton. No, see, that's the thing. And, and I, I guess I'll end on this note. I, I said I've written the last note, and then John can have the last word. No one even likes her, right? And whenever you say that no one likes her and she's unpopular, people like point to the fact that she won, like, I don't know, 63 million votes or some some bullshit number that she won. But then reality, like there are two things that are, are the case. It's like we know statistically that most people were voting for her because they were voting against Trump, right? Like, like we know, like mm-hmm. we know, like we know that most people were voting for Trump because they were voting against her, right? And we know that most uh, and people who weren't voting just to vote against Trump, which was part of her strategy, were voting because they just vote for every Democrat and they vote. That's what they do. They vote for Democrat. They're like they're they're professional voters. Like they come, they come in every four years, you know, vote for like vote for the candidate and go back about the day. Cause like they're, they were a cult, they're culturally Democrat. They, you know, they believe all the myths about democratic superiority. In fact, they get rolled all the time. And like, and that's the case. It's like, so like, there are like five people who actually like her. They're all, they all have columns. <laughs> they all have like, they all have New York, they mm-hmm. all have op-ed columns, but like her popularity is incredibly low, right? You know, it's, it's incredibly low, but that speaks to the idea that I, you know, I said earlier, it's like, centrism is like a fringe ideology and it is an ideology and it's a dangerous one because it builds itself as an anti-ideology and it's kind of sado and it's kind of just like sadistic in the sense that or rather solipsistic and it says that it, you know it, it frames society in the social order as being contingent on the, the comfort of the most comfortable <laughs> it's like it being, which is fucked up and the moment their comfort comes under attack they think society is in panic right and it can be any kind of attack and that's what makes them so uh aggressive against Sanders and, and and view him equally as Trump. That was that was also in the New York Times endorsement. They was they said some shit about how like, you know, uh you're gonna be holding rallies after you become elected to get things passed. Isn't that kind of like Trump? And it's like what a fucking stupid question. What a what a stupid fucking question to ask. You're gonna go to the voting booth and vote like Trump voters, aren't you? You use words to, to communicate ideas? You know who else used words to communicate ideas? Hitler. How are you different <laughs> from Hitler? It's just like, what the fuck kind of question is that? Are you, are you fucking stupid? Yes. It's just like, what, like, what a dumbass question to ask. But at the core of that dumbass question is that, you know, the New York Times editorial staff is made up of people who think they're fucking wannabe Aristos. But I mean, that's, I think that's it for me. Uh, you guys can finish up whoever wants to go first. You know, last thoughts. Uh, that I think if uh, white people go to rap concerts, they should uh, have to bring black people to make sure that they uh, don't fuck up. Because I was watching some video, I guess it might be hard to find them in Sweden or, yeah, I think it's Sweden, maybe Switzerland. I don't know. Uh, but uh, they were singing along to uh, Kendrick, and damn, the nigga part was loud. And I didn't see a black face wow. in the audience. So come on. Come on. And I mean, I went to a local uh, Kendrick concert and saw a similar or had a similar incident. So luckily not anywhere in like, like my arm length, but it, it was louder than it should have been based off the ratio in the audience. Yeah, are, you, are you doing, are you doing a Soledad O'Brien thing where you're counting black people in crowds, Richard? <laughs> you're doing, you doing race math? <laughs> Only when I'm present, so I know how far to the you know closest one when we need to rally. Race race math is the precursor to race science. (laughs) (laughs) Gateway. All right, so mine is Richard. What are you reading right now? God, right now uh, I'm actually back into uh, Paulo Freire's uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, uh, trying to bring it into application is what I'm, I'm working on. I bumped into a random person in Walmart and they like pressed me to, to come to where they do a, They have a hair shop 
and pressed me to talk about what uh what I'm doing there. And so I've been refreshing on that because I think it's gonna nice. be applicable. And then uh Brandon, you going to the gym tomorrow? I go to the gym every day, but I, I resent the fact that you asked me what I'm reading. I read too. I'm reading a book on moral panic. What are you lifting tomorrow? The fucking world, my man. I'm lifting lifting up the people. That's what that's what I lift every time. <laughs> show well show <laughs> <laughs>